let's get started here with our sermon with a little bit of a survey, a straw poll of sorts. I want to know how many gift-giving gatherings you've already been to. Is there anybody here who hasn't been to a single one yet? A few. All right, the disciplined ones. Well done. Um, how many have been to one? I've been to one gift gathering so far. Okay. How many have been to two? I've been to two so far. Three? Who's been to more than three? A few party animals here. Not a lot of them, but a couple of them. Okay. All right. Now, everybody, everybody who's been to a gift-giving gathering, so the first couple who haven't been to any, you're, you're not part of this little exercise. That's okay. Everyone who's been to one so far, I want you to all say right now, the favorite gift that you received. All right? Count of three. One, two, three. No, you guys didn't participate. That's not how that worked. You've, the favorite gift that you received, when I get to three, we're all going to say at the same time, one, two, three. I love that gift. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. Hey, you know, gifts aren't the reason for the season. We know that. Uh, but they are a pretty major reason or a major part of the season. And, you know, one of the ways I know that I'm getting older is each year I get more and more excited for that one gift. You know which one it is. The new socks. That, that, that's how you know. Like that, that's kind of the, the, the litmus test on their way up. Uh, and, and maybe you're more or less excited about new socks each year. But, but do you remember when you were little? You remember when you were little and you desperately wanted the biggest gift? Maybe you're big and you still desperately want the biggest gift. You know, it happened to me one time. I got the biggest gift. I've never forgotten. We were at my grandparents' house in Atlanta and all my cousins were there. That's like the best time to get the biggest gift, isn't it? When there's a ton of witnesses that you can gloat over and grow in arrogance and pride. There was this one gift that was way bigger than all the others. And so we had a designated gift distributor. And so they would go under the tree and, and they get finally to the biggest one and they pull out the name tag, Justin. I was on top of the world. This was amazing. And at that point, it didn't really matter what the gift was at all. It could be something I hated. I got the biggest one, and I would have won Christmas as if it could be won. It turns out it ended up being my very first golf bag. Pretty big gift, right? Try and wrap that bad boy up. And uh, I, I don't remember a whole lot about the golf bag. I remember receiving it far more than any joy I got from it, as you can see here. Uh, and today, today we gather to celebrate a gift that's far bigger than any golf bag or any gift that'll be under your tree. We're here, obviously, to celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. You know, he's the greatest gift in all the universe. But unlike my golf bag, unlike that, he's to be received and remembered and enjoyed. Not merely received and then you sort of move on and find other things. We know that Christmas gifts, they, they come and they go and what seems thrilling today about what you received by February or March you know, a good percentage of that will be forgotten. But Jesus is never to be forgotten, always to be remembered, always to be celebrated. His gift is totally different. And so this morning, I wanna look at three things about his gift uh, that we can take away. Three things that God wants from you this Christmas. Three things God wants from you, from every single one of you this Christmas. And here's the first thing. He wants you to understand his gift. 
God wants you to understand his gift. See, from the very beginning, there was a clear purpose. Pastor Steve read a minute ago from Luke chapter two, but if we would have read from Matthew one, we would have read about Jesus, that he came to save his people from their sins. Even as a baby, that was the purpose. Or as 1 Timothy 1 would say about the gift, understand what is this gift. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So you get Matthew 1, who Jesus was. He came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1, same concept, he came to save sinners. Paul said he's the foremost. It sort of forces us to ask the question, well, why do sinners need to be saved? It's because they had committed sin. They had offended a holy God. They said, God, we don't want to go your way. We want to turn. We want to go our way. And so to understand the gift means first and foremost that Jesus' gift is about God before it's about us. It's so easy for us to try and twist things and make Christmas mostly about us, to make Jesus mostly about us, to make God mostly about us, what he gives to us, and it's mostly about him, how we can be made right with him, how there can be a relationship with him, how his holiness can be, well, saved and preserved and maintained, not violated. Sometimes we say of the gospel, the story of the whole Bible, we'll summarize it in four Statements, short ones. We'll say, God is holy, I am not, Jesus saves, Christ is my life. To say that God is holy, he's perfect. There's none like him. He's, yes, morally perfect, but without any human limitation. He is infinite and we are finite, but we are not holy like him. That's the second phrase, I am not. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong things. We've all thought wrong things. We've all had wrong motives. And because of that, the Bible calls sin, us choosing to go our own way. We're separated from God. There's nothing we could ever do to work our way back to him. And so here's where the gift comes in, that God is holy, we are not, but Jesus came and he saves. That's the good news. That's the gift that must be understood, that he came to this earth and he lived the perfect life that none of us did. He died the death that our sins deserved so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with God, an eternal hope of heaven with him. That's the gift we must understand. And if you receive him, then he becomes your life. You remember my golf bag, it was a gift and I received the gift. The golf bag did not become my life. And that's probably a good thing, but Jesus is a gift unlike that that you receive him and he becomes your life, that everything then is lived in pursuit of him. And in our day and age, it's so easy to take the gift and make it mostly about us, how Jesus comes to bring peace in our storms. And yes, Jesus does bring peace to your storms, but the gift isn't mostly about peace in your storms. Or, or how Jesus comes and he brings joy in your sorrows, and he absolutely brings joy in our sorrows but it's not mostly about joy and sorrow. We talk about how Jesus comes and calms our anxious hearts, and he certainly does calm all of our anxious hearts, but the gift isn't primarily about anxiety. No, it's primarily about Jesus coming, forgiving our sins and giving us his perfection so that if you've received his gift, that God looks down and he no longer sees the sin on your account, the debt he sees a 
bank account per se full of Christ's righteousness, immense wealth given to you, a right relationship with God. That's what it's primarily about. And if we don't understand this gift from the outset, we're sure to go off track. Maybe you think about it this way. We're talking about gifts, so I'll have several gift examples today. My brother likes to give our daughters these science fair types gifts, the KiwiCo ones, if you're familiar with those. And if you're not familiar, these things are pretty serious science fair type things. Like, I'm re- one of the stipulations I told my brother, I said, Joel, you want to give these to our kids, that's fine. You have to assemble it with them. I'm not doing that. You know, we got Bunsen burners, we got chemical mixes going on. I'm just trying not to burn the place down. And, and he's a, a chemical engineer, and so it's perfect for him. And it's just, it, you know, he, he gets to kind of fix these things up, and we have a few minutes while they're off doing their thing. It's great. Well, this year, one of our daughters got a levitating lantern for Christmas. Yes, yeah, so the look on your eyes you're giving me, yes, that was my look too, a levitating lantern. And so the other day, we heard a cry kind of shriek out from the house. Dad, my levitating lantern isn't levitating. <laughs> well, I don't know what a, how a levitating lantern is supposed to levitate. I don't know what to do with this. I said, well, honey, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll talk to Uncle Joel and he'll get it fixed up for us. So I, I texted him. I said, hey, when, next time you're up in you know, this side of town, we need you to stop by. The levitating lantern isn't levitating and we need your help with this. He said, okay, I'll be there in no time. And we're still working on getting this figured out. But I didn't understand a levitating lantern, and so I wasn't able to help much with the gift, right? Understanding the gift was really key to knowing how it's supposed to work, how it's supposed to be implemented. And friends, if you don't understand the gift of Jesus Christ in who he is and what he actually came to do, it's not going to help you out. You have to understand who he is. You know, maybe, maybe there are people here this morning who, who think about Jesus a bit like a levitating lantern. You say, Justin, I, I know that the KiwiCo and the Science Fair people say that levitating lanterns are actually a thing. I'm skeptical. It has to be rigged somehow. The thing doesn't actually levitate. And maybe you feel that way about Jesus a little bit. Justin, I, I know that you pastors are supposed to get up and talk about hope of heaven and forgiveness of sins and God became man and died, born of a virgin, are we really supposed to believe that and rose from the dead, are we really supposed to believe? This seems like child's play, like a levitating lantern. Can I just tell you, if that's you and you're not sure about the claims of Jesus this morning, that we have better historical evidence for the person of Jesus and for his death on the cross than for any other historical figure from that time period. Any other ancient person. We have better evidence for Jesus than any of them. And that doesn't fully prove all of the miracles. I get that. But if we're going to push aside the claims of Christ, you have to understand that you're doing that against much of the evidence. Not because you have a commitment to to science and to rationality. And You know, if if you've got questions on that, man, I'd love to talk to you. I spent a a long time studying these things and and trying to understand how we can verify what the Bible says. And if you've got questions there, it would be an absolute delight for me if we could get together for coffee sometime in the next few weeks and talk about how do we actually know that Jesus is who he says he was and did the things that he said he did. I hope you'll talk to me after the service about that. First point is that we have to understand Jesus' gift. 
But we also have to recognize it's not enough to merely understand his gift. It's not enough to merely grant the historicity of Jesus. Frankly, it's not even enough to merely understand why he came and why he died. His gift requires action. To understand the gift means you have to understand there's action required here, and that brings us to the second point. Yes, you understand his gift, one, but two, you must receive his gift. That's what God wants from you this Christmas. He wants you to understand it, but he also wants you to receive it. Peter, in his second letter, chapter three, said, the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants his gift to be received. Or Paul, writing to Timothy in chapter two of that first epistle, would say, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men should be saved. Come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. He wants you to be saved. Come to a knowledge of the truth. It's not even really a New Testament thing only. I could go back to the book of Ezekiel. I think we have one such passage on the screen. Chapter 33 is where we're reading from here. The prophet says, say to them, as I have lived, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. What does God want from you this Christmas? He wants you to receive his gift, to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do and receive salvation in his name. It requires faith, what we might call trust, trusting that Jesus really lived, really died, really paid the penalty for your sins. You really can be forgiven and have new life in him. And it also requires repentance. Repentance simply stated as a turn. I was going this way, I repent, I turn, I have a change of mind, change of heart, and I now follow Jesus. That's what's required. Faith that Jesus did what he said, and repentance, you turn and you follow him. And friend, if you do that, you receive his gift, your life will be radically changed. And there's a whole host of people gathered this morning to tell you about that change they've experienced. But I have to tell you, the cost is great. It's a free gift to you, but it will cost you as well. How can that be? You know, Jesus in Matthew 13, verse 44, he told a one-verse parable. Most of the parables are pretty long stories, right? This one was a one-verse parable. And he says there's a guy who found a field that had great treasure in it. He didn't know in the field. And when he saw that, in his joy, he went and he sold everything that he had so he could buy that field because it was worth it. The parable says that's Jesus. You see Jesus, who he is, what he did. I'll go, I'll give up everything in my life. I'll sell everything, all, all the dreams I had all the things I was pursuing apart from Christ, I'll give that up so that I can gain Jesus, so that he can be my savior. Jesus would say, take up your cross and follow me. He said, give up everything to follow me. And you know, I, I would say, maybe that's the first time in your life you've heard that message, that I actually have to give up who I'm going to be to follow Jesus. He requires something of me. The cost is great. Is that really right, Justin? In Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, what, what Matthew records is Jesus saying this. If you try to save your life and you fight to preserve who you are and your stuff and your relationships and save your life, you're gonna lose your life because you can't save yourself 
and you can't ensure anything beyond the grave. But if you'll lose your life for the sake of Christ, give up yourself and become part of his family and his kingdom and seek who he is, that's how you actually gain your life. It's exactly what Jesus said. Maybe it feels a little bit extreme to say it that way. Justin, it's supposed to be a a Christmas kind of fun, life-giving, joy-filled message. But friends, if we don't start with the truth, there is no joy that comes after Maybe think of it this way. I remember as a, as a kid taking a gift to a friend's birthday party. I bought him a pack of baseball cards. I thought it was a good gift, but I wanted it to look more impressive than it was. So I put it, and I wrapped it up, and I put it in a box, a little box. And then I got a, a little bit bigger box and put the little box in the little or bo- bigger box, and then I got another box, put it in the box, and so on and so forth. Turns out I had a box that I could barely carry through the front door. Well, I showed up at my friend's house and he looked at it and thought, wow, Justin got me an incredible gift. So we, we go through the birthday party you know, routine, all the fun stuff we're doing, and, uh, and we, we get to the, the present part. And he tears into this thing and rips the paper off and opens the box and a box. And he opens the box and a smaller box. And a smaller box, and a smaller box, and a smaller box. He had another smallest one, and he looked at it, and you could see in his eyes, he, he was kind enough not to say this, but in his eyes, he said, is that all there is? And maybe that's a parable for your life a little bit right now. That you're seeking joy in the biggest gifts that this world can provide, and if you finally get them, and you unpack it, and you pull it out, and pull it out, and pull it out, you look at it, and you say, that's all there is? Guys, apart from Jesus, you try and save your life, you will lose it. Every promise of this world, it overpromises and underdelivers. It cannot satisfy you. It never will. And so this morning, the call is very simple for you. Receive the gift of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that he offers. Stop chasing the wrong gift and pursue him. You simply say, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you that your death paid for them. And there's new life to be had in you. And so I'm giving everything to you, my time and my talent, my treasure. It's all given to follow you, Jesus. And you also say, Jesus, I'm giving you all the stuff that maybe the rest of this world doesn't want. Because I feel maybe like a, bit, a bit like one of those shepherds in Luke 2 that the world didn't think we're very special and the world doesn't think I'm very special either. So I'm gonna give you all my emptiness. Jesus, I'm gonna give you all my sadness. I'm gonna give you all my addictions. The ones nobody knows about that I try and keep hidden. Jesus, I'm gonna give you my broken relationships. I'm giving it all to you. Will you take all of my life and make me a new person? And he says, yes, I will. Friend, it doesn't matter who you are It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter who you aren't or what you don't have. Jesus wants you to receive his gift. And I trust this day that you'll receive his forgiveness and a new life in him. And this Christmas, Christmas 2022, will be an unforgettable one for you because for the first time you found life in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins and the eternal hope of heaven. There are some of you here this morning who say, Justin, I, I understand his gift. I know that Jesus came to save sinners. And I have received his gift gladly. 
So these first two points are good reminders for me, but is there anything that God wants from me this Christmas as someone who understands and has received his gift? And the answer is yes, there's a third thing God wants from you. He wants you to delight in his gift. He wants you to delight in his gift. Now, if you're in this third category of someone who has understood the gift and received it, take that to be you are a Christian, you likely come to Christmas and see all sorts of threats to Christmas. You're probably seeing threats from secularism in our country growing. And there's threats being posed to Christmas from this, this growing secularist movement and all sorts of ideologies that are very concerning to you. You probably see threats to Christmas in materialism and consumerism with a drive for more, more, more that crowds out and chokes out the heart of Christmas. You may see the threat of busyness around Christmas. There's just so much going on that I don't have time to be still, to sit down at the feet of Jesus like Martha did and wonder at who he is. All of these are very real threats to Christmas, but I might suggest this morning that the greatest threat lives in each of our hearts and it's spiritual boredom. Spiritual boredom, because it's easy to see the threat is outside us from ideologies and secularism we disagree with or consumerism and how it's pushing apart or the schedule that someone else is running and we lose sight of the fact the greatest danger lives right inside my own heart and it lives right inside yours as well, that we become bored with glorious things, glorious truths of who Jesus is. If I drew your attention back to Luke 2, where Pastor Steve just read from, that said, immediately the heavenly host came, and they were delighting. They sang glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. It had gripped their hearts. And the shepherds, when they saw, immediately went to see what had happened. Wow! They dropped everything. And they let it keep dropping because then they went and told others. It had gripped their heart. Come see this wondrous thing. Is that your heart this Christmas? Oh, we must go and see this wondrous thing. These other things, it's a problem to let them all drop but it's okay to let them drop because I've got to go see Jesus. I've got to go tell someone about him. I've got to ponder who he is. All throughout the scriptures, there's this idea being communicated of God desiring mercy more than sacrifice. And the reason for that is that a heart that's been gripped by grace, that's delighted in the gift, it receives mercy and it shows mercy. Showing mercy is a sign of delighting in this gift. And so Hosea in chapter six would say, or God would say through the prophet, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus would say in Matthew nine and Matthew 12, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's getting at a heart that delights in the gift that God has given. And this is what the hymn writers sort of grasp at. They're trying to get to when they say, oh, come let us adore him. You notice what they don't say? Oh, come let us think on him. Oh, come let us obey him. Certainly those things ought to be done, 
But what is the heart longing for? Something to adore, to wonder at, to delight in. And Christian, this morning, I wonder if you've been thinking on the things of God and obeying the commands of God, but failing to delight in God himself. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us. You say, Justin, I've received mercy I haven't renounced Jesus. I haven't denied Jesus. I've not walked away from the faith. But it's not quite as awe-inspiring as it once was for me. The incarnation, God in heaven who made every distant galaxy and controls every tiny molecule would become like me to relate to me, to sympathize with me in my weakness so that he could intercede for me. He could care for me. That should be jaw-dropping to me, Justin, and somehow it just sort of seems like, yeah, that's true. Now can we go up in presence? Friend, God wants you to delight in his gift. If I can close with, with one more story about gifts and, and, and delight. A couple of years ago, our youngest daughter, Grace, got a bicycle as a gift. It was a nice day, the day that she received it, and so we went out, and this was her, uh, I think her first bike without training wheels, right? The one before that was the training wheel one that you think you can ride without the training wheels, so you take them off and they do okay, and it's like, okay, good, now we can buy you a bigger one that never had the training wheels on it. She's riding around the cul-de-sac, and when you got your first big girl bike, there are few joys in this world that come close to that one, and you could just see it on her face. She's pedaling around hair blowing in the wind, kind of out from under her helmet, smiling mile wide, ear-to-ear grin. I can't tell you how much I delighted in just standing there at the edge of the driveway and watching her have joy in that bike. Did she say thank you to me? Yeah, she did. But it wasn't really her saying thank you that I was after. And did she give me a gift? she did give me a gift for Christmas that year. But it wasn't really her gift that I was after. What was the best thing she could do? Find utter joy and delight in that gift and just ride that sucker around the cul-de-sac again and again and again. And I could just stand and watch it forever. She delighted in it. She loved it. Guys, the way I desire that for my daughter, to find such delight and joy in the gift... That's what God desires from you. That you would never get past the wonder of round and round pedaling your bike, remembering who Jesus is, that God would become a baby for you, to love you, to care for you. Not because you were all that special, because let's face it, none of us are actually that special. But because he said, I'm gonna make you special by shining my love on you. Wow, that's something to delight in. Friends, this Christmas, understand his gift, receive his gift, and delight in his gift. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you would love us so much to become like us, to condescend, come to earth, that you would live the perfect life that we didn't and die the death we should have 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins, have a new purpose on this earth and a new life in eternity with you. God, I ask for those here who have not received that gift that they would receive it. They would see there's no life in anything except in you, Jesus. Every other gift on this earth, it doesn't measure up. It overpromises and underdelivers. And Lord, I pray you would bring all of us to delight in the gift that you have given. That we would never grow tired of it, never grow bored with it. We would not lose our awe, but we would marvel that you would become like us to save us from ourselves. You would adopt us as sons and daughters. Help us to see that beauty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.